buckets after buckets. So just for me to, to make it rain from the pulpit for a second, I just want to give my wife a shout out. It is her birthday. She is 27 years young today. So she is a blessing, obviously, to my household. She keeps me sane, and uh, she keeps the joy level up in the house at all times. But she also blesses our home, as we've been talking about the church as a home, through what she does at serving, what she does administrating, and what she does singing. So if you see her tonight, wish her a happy birthday. Um, we're going out afterwards, so we'll see y'all later. But we're going to celebrate the birthday tonight. But welcome home. It's also an invitation we've been talking about in this series as we've been preaching from Jeremiah 29. And we've been talking about how this passage is part of a scriptural witness that we're aliens, we're exiles, we're just passing through in this life. Our home is with God. Our home is full, established relationship with God. And our hope for home in this life is a taste of heaven, right? Steph just shared in the middle of the worship set how we believe Psalm 27, 13. I would have lost hope if I didn't believe I would have seen the goodness of God in the land of the living. God wants to whet our appetite for heaven in this life, even in the midst of what for us spiritually is an exile. So in verses 4 through 7 of Jeremiah 29, it says this. It says, this is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says to all those I carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Build houses and settle down. Plant gardens and eat what they produce. Marry and have sons and daughters. Find wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage so that they too may have sons and daughters. Increase in number there. Do not decrease. Also, seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I have carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it, because if it prospers, you too will prosper. So again, from the New Testament perspective we now live in, we realize that this speaks to the fact that we live in exile as we live out our witness in this life. But we're called to find a home amidst God's people, our family of faith, even in the midst of exile. Because when we find a home in the church, it shifts our focus. We talked about it before, but so often in life, our focus is me, myself, and I. And then sometimes we find Jesus, and our focus merely shifts to me, myself, and Jesus. But that's not the fullness of the focus that we're called to as believers. And when we become a part of a church, it shifts our focus in many ways that we've been going over in these weeks. We're called, we find ourselves looking around. Looking around at the family of faith we're called to get rooted with. We talked about those redwood trees that are as tall as a football field, but their, their roots only go as deep as a basketball hoop. But their roots go out an acre and fuse with the trees around them. We're called to, to become a part of a household of faith. And then as we're a part of a church, we also realize we're called to look out. Jesus says, look out to the harvest field. There's a work to do. So we talked about that work calling last week. You can find all those podcasts on the website. But tonight, we're talking about how being a part of a church shifts our focus to look up. Come on, that worship set, if that didn't have you considering who God is, how great he is, then you need to check your pulse. But we're also called, as we've been talking about, to find rest. It's one of the pathways at our church. How many nappers are here, people who who cherish a, a good nap, like average at least one a week, right? Who here is of the like 10 to 15 minute variety? You set the alarm 15 minutes, you're like, all right, I'm gonna get a, a quick little nap in. All right, 30 to 45 minutes, somewhere in there. That's usually my pocket, that's usually my cushion. What about like just one hour and greater? One, two, three hours, like no alarm, I'm gonna take whatever my body needs, and if it's four hours from now, it's four hours from now. That's Steph's nap. That'll be one of her birthday presents this weekend. Uh, but uh, that was me in college, too. My roommate used to call it the death nap because I was dead to the world. 
And if you ever want to, like, hit him with a Jesus juke, you just say, I want to be one with Christ in his life, death, and resurrection. And that I want to feel what he felt when he walked out of that tomb after three days. So a three-hour nap helps me get there, right? But when we look at these passages, we see Jeremiah 29, verse 4, where it says, This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says to those I carried into exile. And when you're reading your Bible, you should pause there. Because it doesn't say that Babylon took them into exile. It says that God carried them into exile, that this was part of his will. And then he repeats himself, and anytime God repeats himself in Scripture, he's, he's making a point. He goes on to say just verses later, seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I have carried you into exile. So God is underlining and highlighting the fact that God is in control. I'm in control. Or as Larry Osborne says in the life group we're doing on, on Daniel in Babylon, God is in control of who is in control. Sometimes in life it seems like the, the enemy has got the upper hand. When they're in God's hand and he's using them to discipline us or he's using us, using them to shift our perspective. Because we've talked about Israel. They weren't just innocent victims. Spiritually, they were lost long before they were taken into physical exile. So God, through exile, was drawing them home in a way. Because home, again, is perfect relationship with God. And we all come to moments in our life, like Job, like David in the Psalms, like many times throughout the Old Testament, where we just want to call God to account. What's going on? Like Steph before Good Good Father. And there's just those moments in life where you're like, okay, are you asleep at the wheel? Are you taking a death nap? Like what is going on? But God will never fit into our box. Rarely will he ever fit into our agenda. And if we only rest in God's care when we understand what he's doing, then rarely, if ever, will we rest in God's care. So we got to remember that God is in control. And in those moments where circumstances make the least sense, it's most important to pause and plug into God's sovereign present, presence and his ever-present care. That's why God calls the Israelites in these verses to settle in. Because if I go into exile, first thing I'm thinking is, how can I overthrow this government? How can I scrap my way out of this situation? But God says in verses 4 through 7, hey, settle down. Essentially, take a sedentary lifestyle. Rest. Find the elements of a good home, family like we've talked about, work like we've talked about, and rest like we've talked about. That they could settle down, take root, build homes, houses, families, and that that would draw them back into relationship with him. But see, sin, exile, life outside of Eden, it's left us restless. And in that chaos and in that disorder, God wants to create in us again. And he wants to, just as he did in Genesis, make order out of chaos, order out of disorder. And just as he did in Genesis, rest is going to be a part of that. Rest is going to be a part of that. We're called to rest in God's sovereignty even in exile. And like the Israelites would have looked back at the Ten Commandments as they renewed their covenant relationship with God, we too should look back at the Ten Commandments and see the gifts, the nuggets within it. Rest is one of our 12 pathways because it's one of the Ten Commandments that we so easily forget. And like the rest of the commandments and the rest of the pathways, they aren't a part of some punishment where we miss out on life when we obey them. They're actually part of the prize. They're part of walking in full, life-giving relationship with God. See, the command of Sabbath rest, it wasn't a rule to restrict us. It was a rule to liberate us. It was put in the Ten Commandments because rest, it's not a luxury, it's a necessity. I believe God put it in the Ten Commandments because it's not some luxury that we can go without. Rest is a necessity in our lives, and he never wanted us to forget that. He never wanted us to get that twisted. The precedent for rest was established way before the Sabbath commandment. It was set when 
The rhythm of rest was set in God's original creation. It preceded the fall, preceded the first covenant, has been a pattern in place since the beginning. So there's a quote from A.W. Tozer on the Sabbath. It's funny, last week was G.K. Chesterton, and I was joking about how all these spiritual heavyweights have the the two-lettered first names. So maybe next week we'll do D.A. Carson, week after that C.S. Lewis, and I'll try to slide in a a quote by J.D. White the week after that and see if anybody catches it. But uh, A.W. Tozer says about the Sabbath, that giving of the Sabbath law was not meant to be a burden. In fact, the Sabbath was to reflect God's compassion for his people, as well as to emphasize the character of his holiness. But this intention was forgotten in arrogance and rebellion as legalism and traditionalism grew. The true concept of the Sabbath law was proclaimed again and again by God's prophets who stressed the covenant relationship. But people were unwilling to listen. People were unwilling to listen to the point where in Jesus' day, the Pharisees and the Jews had essentially missed the point. They had institutionalized rest. They had insisted on times, and they had hundreds of rules. And if you were to break one of those, then your Sabbath was doomed and you were doomed, right? They had taken the joy out of God's gift, like dancers doing steps but not really dancing, musicians playing notes but not really playing a song. They robbed God's gift of its joy. Rules got in the way of rest's restoration. Rest became a God to appease rather than a, a gift of God that was meant to ease us. All of a sudden, it became some God that we had to appease rather than this gift that was meant to ease us. It's why Jesus said in Mark 2.27, in the New Living Translation, that the Sabbath was made to meet the needs of people and not people to meet the requirements of the Sabbath. So some who don't want to step into the, the legalism of the Pharisees, who don't want to get caught up in the requirements, will say, well, then I'm not going to worry about the Sabbath. I don't want to get caught up in that. But you read the first part of that verse. The Sabbath was made to meet the needs of people. Our need for rest hasn't gone anywhere. We still need rest. Even after Jesus' life, death, and resurrection, the Holy Spirit in us, you can do some awesome things with, with some caffeine and the Holy Spirit. But you can't walk out God's plans, purposes, and calling on your life completely if you neglect the rest he calls us to. We still need rest. But in our Western culture, it's so easy, a trap to walk into, a life without scheduled rest. Because our culture is loaded with activity. It's action-packed, frenetically paced, it's project-oriented. Often the length of our to-do list, or whatever we've checked off our to-do list, is where we find our worth, it's where we find our meaning. But our drive towards these economic triumphs can sometimes lead to spiritual losses. The urgent replaces the important, professional replaces the personal, the public matters can replace the private matters of the heart. Why is church weak in our Western culture? I believe there's many reasons, but one I would say is is we're not rested. We're fractured, we're fragmented, we're fatigued. And what's at stake? A whole lot. Because the Sabbath was instituted for the needs of people. We need rest. But just as it is with everything in the Bible, it's bigger than us. See, I would tell you tonight, the world needs rested Christians. The world needs Christians that are rested and energized to walk out the calling that God has placed on their lives. See, zombies, whoever wasn't listening, I now have your attention. Zombies, they've long been portrayed in our culture, that they have the appearance of life, but they're not, in fact, still alive. And zombie lore has made it past science fiction into Yeah, pop culture, facets of reality. Like people have their theories to how the zombie apocalypse is going to start. 
Steph has like a, a top 10 list of, of strategies and places we'll go to when it, when it all starts. We watched a Netflix show, and we should have never watched a Netflix show that has like one and a half stars. You know, like that's a rule. That's a, that's a trap. Like the words of Admiral Akbar, it's a twat, right? You do not watch something on Netflix that is rated that low. But there was a show about the zombie pox, and it was like how to, how to get through it. And after an hour of watching it, they're just like, hopefully you have a, a genetic immunity. And I was like, thanks. So after all that, I got nothing, nothing out of it. But without rest, we too are like spiritual zombies. We're a tired people. And with being a tired people come health problems due to overwork and exhaustion. So what about when God says go? Because he will. There will be moments in life where he calls us to something. What about when he says go and our body says no? That's why even if the Bible said nothing about it, I couldn't get behind and champion drunkenness and drug use. Because the Bible says so much about self-control, says so much about being sober-minded and being alert to where I need to ask the question, is this going to, am I going to be able to glorify God? Am I going to be able to share the gospel? Am I going to be able to pray for someone effectively in this moment? Am I going to be able to follow the promptings of the Holy Spirit? And if that, if whatever I'm going to do disqualifies that, then I don't want to do it, right? I don't want to purposefully place myself in a state where I'm ineffective. But why don't I think the same way with rest? Because when I don't rest, I can render myself ineffective. Moments when God would say go, but my body is just so exhausted, it's 50% full instead of 100% full, and it says no. What about when we live our days this side of the grave less than fully alive, worn out and worn down? See, in my opinion, to get back to the zombies, because you all want to hear that anyways, walking dead to me has kind of hit a wall. I'm like two years behind some are nodding, some are shaking their heads. I'm about two years behind, and I've got no real urge, like I, no need where I'm like, I got to catch up. Because to me, it's kind of it's hit a wall. And uh, there was an article I saw this week where they, they explained why it's so popular. Because that's my opinion, but it's about to become one of the top-watched shows in cable history. And, and he said, even in spite of, yeah, there's plot holes, maybe it's not the best acted at times, but people love it because there's elements in this show that the culture wants and we as a church should champion. Things like community, diversity, mission, hope, and forgiveness. But for me, it got to a point where I'm like, I've seen this before. Every season, Rick and his crew, right, they press on. They run into some questionable, bad characters. One of the main characters dies. 20 teenagers post about it on Facebook, and you find out if you didn't watch the show. And then rinse and repeat, that's the next season. So maybe AMC was catching on to that. So, so they, they started a show called, what is it, Fear the Walking Dead? Where the question is, all right, how do we get here? So if, if you got lost on Walking Dead, maybe you'll watch that show just to see how, how did they get here? What happened? And the question we should ask ourselves is, how do we get to a place where we can't give God our all? Where we can't actually say to God, I surrender all because we're that exhausted. And it's because we've neglected the mandate and pattern of rest. We've lost our focus. Our focus needs to shift regularly and intentionally to one that looks up from the work that surrounds us. A focus that enables rest. So tonight, I just want to give you two steps that will help you step into rest in a culture that doesn't always celebrate rest. The first is this, a change in pace. And I want to give a, a shout out. Bart and Davini Hughes are in here for worship tonight. If you see them, shake their hand. Um, <laughs> they've served every week since the launch. They got a night, out, a night off tonight. Looks like Bart's regulating and busting heads back there in the hallway. But we champion that. 
Like we joked last week that, that right now as a church, we're like, hey, what week do you want off this month rather than what week do you want to serve this month? Because that's just the nature of planning. So they've been serving like crazy. But it's awesome to see them to have a week where they can pull back from that. Because we say at City Life all the time, we can't fracture the family that we're called to build. We can't work people to the point where they break and they fracture and they're fragmented and they're fatigued. So if you see them tonight, shake their hand too. They're a precious family. In our culture, though, that runs at this hectic pace with no time to pause, Psalm 46.10 still rings true. This call to rest, this call to be still and know that I'm God. See, I can stop what I'm doing because the world will go on. Because the earth is the Lord's and all that's in it, I'm not that big and I can rest in the one who is. There's a book by John O'Donohue where he tells a story in one of his books on an explorer in Africa who's exploring. He hired some, some, some Africans to help him carry all his equipment, and they went three days with little to no rest. So finally after three days, these hired hands sit down, and they refuse to go on. And he comes up to him, and he's like, what's going on? What's the problem? And this is what they said. They said, we have moved too quickly to reach here. Now we need to wait to give our spirits a chance to catch up with us. Now, can we move too fast for the Holy Spirit? No. But I believe sometimes we can move too fast for ourselves. The Hebrew word rest at the root means to catch one's breath. They had gone three days with little to no change in pace, and they were hurting for it. That's why God tells us every six days, every bit in our lives, to change our pace, to slow down, to rest in him. I've run two marathons in my life, one at 21, one last year at 30. So people would ask me when I'm doing my next one. I tell them I average one a decade. Get at me when I'm 40. But when I ran that marathon at 21, I trained with my mom. So when we started, it was the Marine Corps Marathon. It goes around D.C. I remembered I wanted to start with her. So we ran the first mile together just to honor the fact we had trained together. And then I took off. And I remember I found the balloons, some guy who's a machine, you know, they got the different people for the different pace groups for the Boston Marathon because you got to qualify for that. I found the guy who was carrying the balloons for what I would need to qualify, seven minutes the entire race. And it worked out fine for 21 miles, <laughs> right? The, I found a lesson that day. You know, my perspective was I don't want to get to the finish line and think I didn't give my all. But I also learned that day that great starts don't always guarantee great finishes. I've said this so often, I'm probably on like the FBI's watch list, but I cannot look at the Pentagon without wanting to curse under my breath, because that was mile 21 of this marathon. This scenic marathon, right, it's through D.C., it's beautiful, but towards the end, it was just providing a scene where I just wanted my life taken from me. I was like, swing low, sweet chariot, take me home, get me out of here. And like people twice my age are passing me, like, you can do it. I'm just trying not to curse at them either, right? Mile 21, I'll never forget that. Great starts, they don't guarantee great finishes. And it's funny. In life, it's easy to pedestal those people whose conversion was so quick. There was such quick growth. And if it's dramatic enough and if they're well-spoken enough, sometimes they go from the pedestal to the pulpit. We want them to share. And that's not to knock the work that the Holy Spirit can do, doing a complete 180 in somebody's life. But life in Christ, it's a marathon. It's not a sprint. We got to learn to change our pace with rest. You look at the parable of the four soils in Luke 8. Three soils. The seed shoots up right away. The plant shoots up. But you don't celebrate a plant that just comes out of the soil. You celebrate the plant that gives you a harvest. And out of those three, only one produced a harvest. Only one produced fruit. One of them, the soil with the weeds, was choked out by distractions. And with no rest, we can lose margin and fill our plate with distractions to the point where we don't have room for God. How many of you guys 
watch the Super Bowl. Even if you didn't watch the Super Bowl, how many of you guys saw, like, the memes being made with Eli Manning's face? <laughs> little background, Peyton Manning at the end of that game. The Broncos, being led by Peyton Manning, score, like, the game-clinching touchdown. And Peyton Manning isn't the only Manning that's played in the NFL. His father played, his brother Eli, his younger brother, up to that point, had more rings than him. He had won multiple Super Bowls. So the whole family's a big deal. So when that touchdown was scored, the network, of course, was like, let's, let's find the Mannings. And... I guess they were up in a box in a suite, and, and the family's going crazy, right? Hugging each other. They're high-fiving each other. They're jumping around, and this was, that was Eli. And, and immediately, memes were being made. People were saying, oh, he must be salty that all of a sudden Peyton, ha- he no longer can say he has more rings. He's going to hear about this at Thanksgiving. But, but Peyton Manning, being the nice older brother that he was, took his brother out from under the bus and said, hey, he was probably thinking like a quarterback in that moment. Do we go for two, right? What do we do after that? What's the defense going to do? Should they play prevent? All these things as his wheels are turning in his head. But you realize that he was blinded to the joy of the moment by cataracts of, of habit and work ethic. All that's good. But come on, your brother's about to win the Super Bowl. And we can't let the tyranny of the urgent rob us from the joy of the moment. Rest is like, it's like joy's theft prevention. Because we can get so caught up in work that we don't realize the, the beauty and the joy that we should get from our calling in this life. That we too should be able to recognize as, as we rest that God is using what we've done and he's going to use what we're going to do and we can find joy in that. Hurry and a hectic pace can kill everything from creativity to compulsion. Or excuse me, creativity to compassion. Mark Batterson, one of my favorite authors, says you can do the work of God at a pace that destroys the work of God in you. It says you can do the work of God at a pace that destroys the work of God in you. Again, God is at work making you a new creation. He's justified you by the blood of Jesus Christ, but he wants to sanctify you, transform your life, help you to find the life that's available in Christ Jesus. But in that regard, there's always work to be done. I'll look at my life. None of us are ever grace graduates. We're all case studies what the world looks at and sees God's grace at work in us till the day we die. There's always work to be done. But as God creates in us, again, he wants us to find rest. He rested on that seventh day as he created the world. Rest is going to be a part of what he works in us. And you know what the irony is? To have more effective long-term growth, to be further along at the end of your life, to speed up your growth long-term, you got to learn to slow down in the short term in rest. Abraham Heschel, he wrote a book called The Sabbath. (laughs) But he talked about a sanctuary in time. He says, six days a week we live under the tyranny of things in space. On the Sabbath, we try to become attuned to holiness in time. It is a day in which we are called to share in what is eternal in time, to turn from the results of creation to the mystery of creation, from the world of creation to the creation of the world. Again, if we don't learn to rest from work, and embrace a change in pace. We can cripple the, God, the work that God wants to do in us. And it's not just about a change in pace. It's also, secondly, about a change in pursuit. Even in a culture that rejects God, we cherish rest. Right? We, we love leisure. The leisure industry in our culture is one of the most thriving industries in our economy. And we have more time for leisure 
than we ever had before. The whole five-day work week, when you look at history, it's a relatively new invention. We have more time for leisure. We have more ways to invest in leisure. So why is stress, fatigue, and exhaustion as high or higher than it ever has been before? You look at the statistics, 77% of people in the U.S. regularly experience physical symptoms of stress. 73% experience psychological symptoms. What are the symptoms? It's linked to emotional depression, mental illness, marital difficulties, broken families, lack of productivity, cardiovascular problems, and even digestive problems. So how can such a well-rested society that invests so much in leisure be so crippled by the stress of work? It's because you can do rest wrong. See, leisure is good. It comes from a good God. Jesus invested in leisure. He took naps. Took naps in boats. He liked boats. Probably would have liked cruise ships, right? Could have gone on a cruise with Jesus. And I'm somehow convinced that, that Jesus would have loved chilling on a Sunday afternoon and watching football. Somehow I know he would have been there right there with me. Diversions and leisure, they're a good thing. But the leisure that our culture champions and the rest that God calls us to, they're not one in the same. There's a great quote by George McDonald where he says, leisure and amusement may be enjoyable, but they are to the private world of the individual like cotton candy to the digestive system. They provide a momentary lift, but they will not last. So he's saying, look, leisure and amusement are good. Invest in it. But to truly heal, be restored, be re-energized, you've got to plug into the right source. Our culture, champions of leisure, yet worn out and frayed at the seams, show us that you can do rest wrong. And when you do rest wrong, there can be dire and drastic consequences. You look at the, the story of David in 2 Samuel 11. David was beat. David was tired. So David stayed home when he typically, as a king, would have been out with the army, conquering enemies. But he, he decided to stay home. And you know what? If he rested, as we're called to rest, maybe wrote a psalm or two, hung out and worshipped God, maybe we would have never heard about it. But he didn't. He broke into this spiral of, of murder, adultery, lying, and alike. So David, giving himself to leisure instead of battle, yet losing battles left and right spiritually, shows us again that you can do rest wrong. And what's at risk? Again, a lot. Because think about what happens when you're tired. When you're tired, you undervalue what you have, whether it's a job, a family, or your future. When you're tired, you can lose your vision and get just consumed with what's happening right now in the moment. When you get tired, all of a sudden, non-negotiables can become negotiable. That's how David compromised in that moment, and then it snowballed. But see, rest done right is active. It's not passive. It's changing your pursuit to something else. Again, the Hebrew word for rest talks about ceasing, desisting, and stopping. But stopping so that something different can happen. The Sabbath command that God gives us to rest every seventh day entails laying aside your daily grind so that you can engage in higher pursuits. You make the rest available in God your own by actively resting in him. Prayer, the word, worship, whatever it might look like. It's a change in pursuit. Hebrews 12 verses 1 through 3. I love the message version. The heading says discipline in a long distance race, and that speaks again. Change in pace, but it also talks about a change in pursuit. Hebrews 12 verses 1 through 3 in the NIV says this. It says, therefore, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us also lay aside every encumbrance and the sin which so easily entangles us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. 
For consider him who has endured such hostility by sinners against himself so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. That word weary speaks to discouragement in your soul and being faint in your mind. The Strong's Concordance literally says to be unhappy in your soul and in your mind. See, it's, at po- it's possible to be at rest physically and yet be unrested psychologically. To be at rest physically and yet be at unrest in your mind. It's possible to wake up from a two-hour nap or come back from a two-week vacation and be just as frazzled as when you left. Rest isn't a way to recharge unless rest is connecting you to the source. So you look at, at, again, this passage, you work backwards. How do you not grow weary? Consider Jesus. In the message version, it says, go over what Jesus did, and that will shoot adrenaline into your souls. I love that phrasing. Ultimately, our call to rest is for a time to give up on our work and give in to the work of Jesus. If the goal was merely giving up something without taking up something else more significant, or the focus is just the practice of giving up activity rather than actively giving into Jesus, it becomes about us. It doesn't become about Jesus. But when we consider Jesus, not just the work of the cross, but the work of rest that he put in throughout his life, it gives us a new perspective. Because I think most of us think of rest as something we do after the job is done. But rest was something Jesus did throughout his journey. It says in Luke 5, 16 that Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. And you look at that verse. It comes immediately after he was in what they call a vast crowd and healed a a man with leprosy. And then it has this verse. And then immediately after that is the passage where he's in a crowd so big that they have to cut the hole in the roof to drop his friend in so that their, their paralyzed friend can be healed. Jesus was a busy man, but he found a way to rest. He partook in rest. And I love that he gives his advice on rest and plugging into God. In Matthew 6, verse 6 in the message version, Jesus says, hey, find a quiet, secluded place so you won't be tempted to role play before God. Just be there as simply and honestly as you can manage. The focus will shift from you to God, and you will begin to sense his grace. See, Jesus partook in rest, resting in God, his presence, his power, his purpose which gave him strength and direction for each new step. It's how he stepped into different moments with fresh wisdom. It's how he met every need with fresh energy. It's how he was ready at all times to confront untruth with truth. The world needed arrested Jesus. How much more does the world need rested Christians? Christians who value rest. People take themselves, they take themselves out of making an impact too soon because they never learned rest. Far too easily, far too soon, they give up when God God calls them to go on. With the effects of stress we talked about, sometimes they meet God before they should have because they never learned rest. I think people probably show up and and Jesus is like, welcome to heaven, but you had another 10 to 15 years if, if you could have learned to work rest into your life because stress, weariness, it, it robs us of life physically and spiritually. And again, growth long term. If you want to speed that up, you got to learn to slow down in the moment. you got to learn the, the worth of rest. Because if, if we don't obey God with our rest, we won't be able to fully obey him in his calling. If we don't learn to fully obey God with rest, then we won't be able to walk out our calling the way we should be. So I want to call the worship team up. We're going to spend some time real quick going over just practical notes about rest. So you can work it into your, your maybe it's not a part of your week to week, but there are ways that you can. The first is, is rest doesn't mean not breaking a sweat. It means breaking from compulsion. 
Fred, when he preaches on the Sabbath, I don't even remember who it is he quotes, but he just defines the Sabbath as, as rest from compulsion, that there's, there's no compulsion. It doesn't mean not breaking a sweat. Let me tell you, as a pastor, sit at a desk a lot, break bread with people, got to do something with those carbs, right? I'm not running around. So when I take my Sabbath, I want to work out, I want to get outside, I want to break a sweat. If you have an active job, maybe your Sabbath is just laying up, taking that death nap and reading a book all day. Netflix binging, whatever it might look like. But it, it means breaking from compulsion. But at the same time, if I'm resting, if I'm taking a day to rest and I'm driving down the road and I, I see somebody with a, a flat tire, an old lady, I don't just pass them by like, oh, I'm resting. Good luck, right? Jesus shows again and again that, that acts of love and acts of mercy are above the, just the ritual of rest. That bottom line, it's loving people and serving them, but, but you've got to take a time to break from compulsion. Secondly, rest does need grace. We can get so addicted to the adrenaline rush that comes with work, with getting, knocking out a to-do list, with knocking out work orders. Again, some of us might even find value and worth from that. I found out the hard way as a young pastor that I found so much worth from, from knocking out work orders at, at my old job. And removing those idols, that can be a struggle. You could develop everything short of a nervous twitch, trying to rest and unplug from your emails and from the, the urgency and tyranny of the to-do list. But give yourself grace. Give the people around you grace as they try to begin resting. And then thirdly, rest doesn't need to be a day, at least not immediately, a calendar day. Again, a personal struggle for me as I entered ministry is Steph was still working, almost a full-time job at Wells Fargo, I didn't want to take a day off and just sit around the house alone. I wanted to take a day off with Steph, go on a date, invest in our relationship. So for me, again, with, with the new schedule, trying to figure out my life, it was hard for me to find 24 hours from the morning till night to rest. Sometimes I would try to find an evening and into the next morning, but sometimes it was like, I'm just going to give God eight hours of rest, and I'm going to start there. And maybe I work my way till 24 hours. But it's the same with reading the word. It's the same with prayer. Sometimes people are like, man, I don't have an hour to give to the word and prayer. I'm like, well, give God the 20 minutes you have. Give God the 15 minutes you have. So if you can only start with two hours, start with two hours. Eight hours, start with eight hours. But find a way to work rest into your life. And then rest does need to be intentional. Because as we talk about these other pathways, how many of you guys know as soon as you open up your Bible, to start reading it or, or you open up your version app and immediately you get like 15 notifications. You try to put yourself in a prayer closet to pray and that's when all, every emergency ar arises. That's when all the calls come, right? Or the, what would always happen to me when I used to work at the, the graphic design shop, I would say, I'm gonna fast today. Without fail, that was the day my boss would buy the entire workplace, like Pierce's barbecue. <laughs> like, are you serious? It's the same thing with rest. We might have good intentions, but we have to schedule it. We have to plan it because something's going to come up. It's the tyranny of the urgent. But the same way that, that Steph and I, right, we used to have date nights on Sunday nights. It's moved now to Monday nights. But there is a night of the week. There is a night of the week that we are going to invest in each other. We set that aside. And we let very little, if anything, interrupt that. In the same way, we should do that with our relationship with God. Why don't we do that with our relationship with God? Have a time set aside every week where we're just going to rest in Him. We're going to take our perspective and look up at God and look at, at what He's called us to and find the meaning and the joy in it. See, again, the world needs rested Christians. My wife needs a rested husband. 
Your family needs arrested mother, arrested father. Your coworkers need arrested coworker. And we, again, we don't rest because the work is done. We rest because we were created for it. And again, sometimes you hear people say, well, well, I don't have time for it. I make time for my wife because she's a priority. What you prioritize, you can make time for. It's not that, it's not that we don't have the time, we just don't have the time management skills. Again, that's something I had to learn. That's something I struggled with, with rest. Again, when I became a, a full-time minister, going from this job where I was going through work orders, where I was um, checking things off a to-do list, you get into ministry, there's not a lot of finish lines. There's not a lot of, of boxes you can check off. You're done with one service, it's on to the next service, the next sermon, the next meeting, the next tough conversation. There's always something you can do 24 hours a day. And I struggled with that when I first became a pastor to the point where I got borderline depressed and I called my dad and I'll never forget where I was and what he said to me. I was standing in North Riverside Baptist Church and, and I was just sharing my heart. And he said, you have to learn to unstring your bow. These days they make bows and arrows so technically advanced that you don't have to unstring them anymore. But hundreds of years ago, you would have to unstring your bow when you weren't using it because otherwise the bow itself would get warped. It wouldn't hit the mark. My dad was saying, you need rest. If you don't rest, you'll compromise your ability to hit the mark consistently in life. Revolution Church needed a rested pastor. The world needs a rested Justin. If my life is gonna consistently hit the mark, I've gotta consistently unstring my bow and just rest in God, to be still and know that he's God. That the world will go on. He carries the weight of ministry. We do this, but God does the heavy lifting. Week in and week out. And then just a disclaimer, as we close, as we go back into worship. Our focus tonight has been on physical rest. Finding physical rest in the cycle of our lives. To take a break and rest from our work. But if we were to dig deep into the breadth of what the Bible says about rest, we could spend weeks and months just looking at rest. You look at Hebrews 4 alone, there's all different kinds of rest that talks about. It talks about the spiritual rest where we don't have to put up a, right, a resume of righteousness because Jesus died on our behalf. There's a rest from, from the works of the flesh that, that we can rest from because Jesus died on our behalf. And we step into that. It's a rest we enter into not only in the heaven to come, but the heaven we get to taste in this life as we step into the life Jesus promises. So if I could have everybody stand, we're gonna go back into worship. But if you're here tonight and you would never, you would say you've never stepped into what I would just call that eternal rest. That rest that you have in your heart because you know that your eternity is secure. There's a rest you walk in in life when you know that when I breathe my last, I'm gonna step into home. I'm gonna step into relationship with God that I've only tasted in this life. So if that's you tonight, we're gonna, we're gonna sing a song. And if you wanna grab me during that song, you wanna grab me after that song, you wanna grab me after service, I wanna pray with you. I wanna give you resources. I wanna see you step into the life and the eternal rest that's available to all of us. See, after creation, God said it is finished and he rested. But in the process of redemption, in the midst of redemption, Jesus said it is finished. And now we get to rest. Come on, so tonight, if you would say, I feel spiritually like a zombie. I feel spiritually like I need refreshing, I need renewal. Then come on, we're gonna sing this song, Come to the Altar. And if you want to, you can come to the altar. You can kneel, you can stand, you can worship. But Matthew 11, 
verse 28 through 30 says. This is the message version. It says, are you tired, worn out, burnt out on religion? Come to me. Get away with me and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. Come on, let's worship together. is real. 
so cool that in this passage about rest, Jesus says to us, walk with me and, and work with me. Watch how I do it. We look at Jesus' life, we saw that he was called, he walked that out, he did work. But in the unforced rhythms of grace he talks about, he stepped into again and again this rhythm of rest. And God, we know that you put rest in our lives as a need. God, because there's, there's vision that we'll have on the other side of rest that we wouldn't have if we didn't. There's, there's energy and, and life that we'll have on the other side of rest that we wouldn't have if we didn't. Lord God, and we know that you have a calling and a purpose and a destiny over every life in this place. Whether they realize it or not, you have a calling, a purpose, and a plan for them. God, but we know that we're never going to walk it out fully if we live it exhausted, beat, tired, fractured, and fatigued, Lord God. Help us to learn the, the worth, the significance of rest, but also the beauty and the joy of rest. When it's not just a change in pace, but it's a change in pursuit. When we pursue you in, in prayer and worship and fasting and the word, Lord God. And we pursue you. It's, it's where we find true life and vitality and hope, Lord God. So I pray that you would teach us value in rest. And in that, we would be a more effective people, a more effective church, and a more effective tribe that you've called to this region of Suffolk and Carrollton and Smithfield and Portsmouth and Chesapeake, Lord God. God, help us to rest in your presence even now. God, but to learn the value of that rest every week of our lives. In Jesus' name, everybody said amen. We'll see you guys next week. Take care. I have decided